Thank you, Teresa. Please take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be reading uh, the first 14 verses. This is now the third time in a row where Jesus is going to tell a parable to the religious leaders of Israel. This is the parable of the wedding feast. Matthew chapter 22, we'll read verses 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. As most of you know, um, this morning we had the, the privilege to celebrate three professions of faith. Three young ladies in our congregation stood up here and, and professed their faith in the Lord Jesus. And Lord willing, we will have a, a few more in the weeks to come. One of the questions that we always ask in one of those interviews is the very basic question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God? That's a, that's a very important, very essential tenet of the Christian faith. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter said there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, since this is true, since there is no way to God, no way to heaven, except through faith in Jesus Christ, rejecting Jesus is a very serious matter. It's a matter of eternal significance. That's one of the key things that Jesus is teaching here in this parable tonight, that rejecting him is a very, very serious matter. And yet, the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Uh, today is, is not the day of judgment, it's the day to come to Christ in saving faith, and the, the call of the gospel continues to go out into all the world, calling men, women, and children to embrace Jesus Christ with a living faith. And that's what we're going to see tonight in this parable. And there are four things we're going to look at as we make our way through these 14 verses. First of all, the king is rejected. Second, the king responds in judgment. Third, the king issues an invitation. 
And fourth, the king discovers an intruder. He is rejected, he responds in judgment, he issues an invitation, and he discovers an intruder. Once again, as we always see in the parables, they're pretty straightforward and and easy to track with stories. Parable begins by telling us that there's a king who is going to give a, a wedding feast, a wedding party for his son. Now, weddings in the first century were a lot different than they are now in the 21st century. Uh, Today, uh, a wedding ceremony might last 30 minutes, maybe, and then the wedding reception is maybe two to four hours in length. But in that day, uh, wedding receptions could last all the way up to one week. One week, they would celebrate the, the marriage of two people. This isn't any normal wedding feast, though. This is the wedding feast put on by a king for his son. This would be a big, big deal. Some scholars even say that a wedding feast for a king's child could last up to one month. And so you've got this this grand occasion. The king's son is going to be married, and there's going to be this huge party that might last for several weeks. This would be big news all around town. The king's son is getting married. We're having this big party in his honor. Now, as happens in our own day, wedding invitations here are sent out. And and imagine getting a wedding invitation from the king to come to the king's son's wedding. Imagine thinking, wow, the king invited me to this, this VIP event. Well, now it's time for the wedding feast to begin. It's time for the wedding party to start. And so the king's servants go out into the homes of of those who have been invited and they say, it's time. It's time for the wedding feast to begin. And the expectation is that all of these guests are going to start showing up at the party. But as you read, you notice what happens. That's not what happens. Those who have been invited don't come. This doesn't make any sense. This is the wedding feast for a king's son. You're expected, if you were invited to this, you're expected to be there. And so the king thinks to himself, uh, maybe there's been a misunderstanding. Uh, Maybe they forgot what day it is. Maybe they don't understand quite the gravity of this event. And so he sends out more servants. And they go out and they, they tell the invited guests, hey, it's time for the party to start. Everything's ready. And, and check out the menu. They're not, just, they're not just serving a light snack. They're not serving cookies and punch. Verse 4 says, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The filet mignon is ready. The $200 bottles of wine are decanting. Everything is in place for this big party. And surely they're going to show up now. Surely, once they hear the menu, they're going to come. He's put together, the king has put together this amazing party. But, but notice, notice something interesting. There are two different ways that these invited guests respond. The first response is indifference. Verse 5 says, they paid no attention. They don't care. Their attitude is whatever. We're not interested. We're, we're going to go back and do our work. 
The second response is, is downright hostility. Some of the invited guests grab the king's servants, beat them up, and kill them. Now there's a point here, and the, and the point here is that we can expect people to respond to the gospel in two different ways. As you go about your life and, and as you seek to, to bring the gospel to other people, you can expect that, that people will often respond in one of these two ways. First of all, there are those who don't care. They're indifferent to their sin. They're indifferent to their need for a savior. They're indifferent to Jesus. They're indifferent to the things of eternity. Years ago in, in my furniture life, this is over 20 years ago now, I worked with people like this. They were very nice people. They were hard workers. They were kind. They knew that I was a Christian. They, they knew that I went to church. And, and they would say things to me like, you know, if, if that's what you feel you need, that's great. If you think going to church is important, that's great. But it's not for me. They were never hostile to me. They, they were never antagonistic about Christianity. They just didn't care. Other things were far more important to them. When, when Luke tells this parable that Jesus gives here, Luke gives us a bit more detail. Luke says in Luke 14, verse 16, he says, A man once gave a, a great banquet and invited many. At the same time, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything is ready. But they all began to make excuses. The first one said, I bought a field and I have to go see it. The second one said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go examine them. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've gotten married and therefore I cannot come. The point is they, they had other things that consumed their time. Other things that, that were, were more important to them. They just didn't care about this banquet. And that's how a lot of people are in relation to spiritual matters. They just don't care. The Holy Spirit has not worked on their hearts. The Holy Spirit has not gripped them. And so they hear you talking about Christianity, and if that's what you need, if you need a, a crutch, sometimes they'll say that, to get you through life, then, then that's fine. But I don't need that. They're indifferent. But secondly, we will also come across those who are hostile to Christ and hostile to Christianity. History provides indisputable evidence that the world hates Christ and his followers. Remember the statistic I gave you a few Sunday mornings ago. In the last 2,000 years, 70 million people have been killed on account of their faith. 70 million. And maybe you've encountered people before who are hostile. Not just indifferent, but they hate the idea of Christianity. Jesus told us to expect this. He said in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. As we seek to live distinctly Christian lives in this culture, there are those who will hate us. There are those who will not want to hear the message. Children and young people, as you, as you grow up, that's very important to keep in mind that, that don't expect the world to like you. Now, we should not be offensive in and of ourselves, but the message of Christianity will offend. 
The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And so the, the parable that Jesus is telling is, is very helpful for us. It's, it's, it's helpful to be realistic about life. Jesus says you can expect two different responses to the gospel. We will see those who just don't care. They don't want to close the churches. They don't want to outlaw Christianity. They don't want to stop you from following Christ. They just don't have any interest themselves. But we will also encounter those who want to silence any Christian voice. I read an article this past week about a, a pastor in the UK who was reported to the terror police in the UK because he called a trans woman a man in woman's clothing. He was reported to the police for that. And so as we move ahead in the future, I think we will see more of this. How dare you call a, a trans woman a man in woman's clothing? We're going to report you to the terror police. Now here's the thing we have to remember about both groups. Both people, the indifferent and the hostile, are lost. They're lost. They're headed for eternal punishment, both the indifferent person and the hostile person, and therefore both of them need to hear the law and the gospel. They, they need to come to the realization that they have not kept God's law and that therefore they are worthy of his judgment just as we are. But they must also see that Jesus is the perfect Savior who will not reject any who come to him in true faith. Well, what's this king going to do? He sent out an invitation. People don't come. He sent his servants back out, said, come, here's the menu. They still don't come. They go back to their daily work. They, they go back and some of them take the servants and kill them. What's this king going to do? That's the second part of the parable. This king was very gracious in inviting all of these people to his son's wedding. The finest food and drink would be there. No expense would be spared. But instead of accepting this gracious invitation, some shrug their shoulders, some murder the king's servants. And the king determines that he cannot allow this rebellion to go unpunished. And so he sends in his army and his army destroys these men and they burn down their city. Now, as you know by now, parables are not just these um, really interesting, easy to understand stories. There's, there's spiritual truth here. These parables are meant to communicate spiritual truth. And here in this parable, we have a picture of God's dealings with Israel. God had sent his appointed spokesmen to his people. The Old Testament prophets had come. And they had proclaimed to God's covenant people the word of God. John the Baptist had come, calling people to faith and repentance. God had sent his only begotten son as the savior for all who would believe in him. And, and what awaits all who believe in him is eternal life, the marriage supper of the lamb. But when you read the Old Testament, the reality is that many people rejected that message. Many people rejected God. Some didn't care. Some were hostile. After all, Jesus described Jerusalem as the city that, 
that uh, kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. And so Jesus says here in this parable, judgment is going to come. And these words that Jesus speaks here in verse 7 have both a, a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. First of all, the, the near fulfillment of what Jesus says here in this parable is what happened in 70 A.D. In that year, there was a, a Roman general by the name of Titus who with his Roman army went into Jerusalem and, and, and pretty much um, leveled the city, destroyed the city. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, who actually was living during that time, Josephus says that over one million Jews were killed in Jerusalem and thousands and thousands more outside of the city limits were put to death. In addition to that, the Jewish temple was destroyed. It was a horrible, horrible time. And that was the near fulfillment of what Jesus says here in verse 7. But all of that was pointing to the far fulfillment. And that is what would happen much later and will happen much later. You might remember what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1. The, the day will come when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That's what awaits all who reject him. Now, brothers and sisters, you don't have to fear that day. Uh, that's because Jesus took the wrath that you deserve on the cross. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. God laid all of our iniquities upon him. But the reality is that, as we saw this morning from Revelation 8, that day is coming. And Jesus warns of that day here in this parable. Now, at this point, the king is going to issue an invitation. The king now says to his servants, I want you to go out there and I want you to invite anyone you find to this wedding party. So that's what they do. They, they go out, they invite anyone they come across to come to this party. And, and notice verse 10, he says, invite both the bad and the good. Now, we're good. We're good Calvinists. And so we say, well, there's no one who's good. Paul says that in Romans 3, right? There's no one righteous, no, not one. By nature, we're all sinners. By nature, we're all on the same level. But I think the point that Jesus is making here is that the gospel invitation is to go out to all people, to go out to the outwardly good, the outwardly moral people. It's to go out to the people who love their families and who work hard and pay their taxes. And it's also to go out to notorious sinners. We don't pick and choose to whom we give the gospel. Theologians refer to this as the, the indiscriminate call of the gospel. The gospel is to go out to all people. One of our doctrinal standards is the Canons of Dort, and it puts it this way in the second head of doctrine, Article 5. It is the promise of the gospel that whoever believes in Christ shall not perish but have eternal life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be announced and declared without differentiation or discrimination to all nations and all people. 
We don't pick and choose to whom we give the gospel. The gospel is to go out to all. And if you're listening tonight, if you're watching this on live stream, this good news is announced to you this evening. By nature, I'm a sinner. By nature, I can do nothing to save myself. By nature, I deserve the judgment of God. And God would have been perfectly just to leave me in my sin and to condemn me for all eternity. Have we come to grips with that? Have we come to grips with what we really do deserve? It's not God's favor. It's not God's grace. It's not God's mercy. It's God's judgment that we deserve. But in his great love, he sent his son who took on a truly human nature, who lived a life of perfect obedience, who died a cursed death on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead, triumphing over sin and the grave. And for all who come to God through Jesus Christ, by faith alone, God promises to forgive you all of your sins and to give you eternal life. Now, maybe you've heard this message your entire life. Maybe you keep saying to yourself, I'll get around to that someday. But for now, you're like the people in this parable who who don't really pay all that much attention to spiritual things. You don't care. It's not that you're hostile. It's not that you're angry against anything doing with Christianity. But you just don't care. Maybe you're like the second group. I don't know if there's anyone here that's like the second group, but... Maybe you're actually quite hostile to the message of Christianity. Maybe you're here because you have to be here. Maybe you don't want to upset people. But, but deep down, you are actively opposed to Christ and to his gospel. And, and to both groups of people, I say the same thing to you. God is patient. God is patient, incredibly patient. In Jeremiah 7.25, God says to Israel, From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Ezekiel 18.23, God says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? And not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God is patient. He continues to call you to himself. Do not reject him. Do not reject the gospel message. God and his patience is calling to you. That's what we see in this parable. The the king now invites people to his son's wedding party, but they refuse to come, and he goes back and invites them again. Yes, the Lord is patient, but the Lord will not remain patient forever. This parable is a stark reminder of the the judgment that will one day come. And so in the words of Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon If you're living in enmity towards God, if you're living in indifference toward God, I urge you tonight to come to him and he will abundantly pardon you. He will forgive you. Well, now there's a final part to this parable. Wedding party is now full of guests. 
king walks in. You can imagine the king is very happy. All these people came to the wedding party of my son. He's probably smiling, as we usually do at wedding parties. But then he looks, and he sees someone there, and the smile goes off of his face. He sees a man there who is not wearing a wedding garment. Most of you here this this evening have been to weddings before. You ever been asked to wear a wedding garment? Probably not. And so what is this all about? What is this idea of a wedding garment? Well, in that day, you would be expected to dress appropriately for a wedding, especially the wedding of a king's son. You didn't just, you know, waltz in there after working in the field all day. We have something similar in our day. I mean, you, you probably wouldn't show up to a wedding, especially a church wedding, looking like you just got off the beach. There, there's an appropriate way to dress. There's, there's typically a way that people will dress at a wedding. Now remember, here in this parable, the, the king's servants were bringing people into this party at the last minute because the, the initial guests wouldn't come. And so at the last minute, you got all these people coming in, and they wouldn't have had time to put the proper clothing on. And so in all likelihood, we can imagine that the king, probably at the, at the door, at the entrance to the party, had some wedding garments, some robes that people could put on. But apparently there's this one guy who thinks his clothes are good enough. I don't, I don't need what the king is providing. My outfit is just fine the way it is. And so he walks into the party, trusting that what he has on is sufficient. And the king says to him in verse 12, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man is speechless. He doesn't know what to say. Verse 13, then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see what Jesus is saying, right? You will not be able to enter heaven dressed in your own righteousness. God will not say to you, as long as you thought your clothing was okay, you're fine. Come on in. You will not be allowed to enter into heaven dressed in your own righteousness. Your good works will not get you into heaven. Instead, you must recognize your own unworthiness. You must give up on any attempt at self-justification and you must put on, by faith alone, the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. You must be dressed in the righteousness that only God provides. The king's righteousness. Your righteousness, my righteousness, is not sufficient. And for all who refuse to do that, who instead continue to live with this mistaken notion that they can get into heaven dressed just the way they are. Jesus has very serious word of warning, and that is that what awaits those people who think they can get into heaven based on their own clothing, their own righteousness, their own good deeds, what awaits them is a place of outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Boil all this down, and we go right back to the beginning of the sermon. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He is the only way to heaven. Believe in him. 
And, and you will one day enjoy eternity with your God. And you will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what awaits us by God's grace alone. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the parables that Jesus told. We thank you for their simplicity, their understandability. We thank you for the the deep spiritual truths that they teach. Father, we pray that if there are those here tonight who are continuing to reject the gospel message, who are continuing to reject the gospel invitation, either through indifference or hostility, we pray that you would work in their hearts, that they would come, they would come to the foot of the cross, where they would find the forgiveness of all of their sins. Father, we thank you that you have drawn us in. We thank you for your saving grace to each one of us. We are not worthy. We are not deserving. But Lord, dressed in the righteousness of Christ, we know that one day we will stand in your presence and we will enjoy for all eternity that wonderful marriage feast. Lord, make us a thankful people And give us also the courage and the conviction to tell this good news to a lost and dying world. We again thank you for all your grace and mercy to us.